to Co-op Energy Talk. Today we want to talk a little bit about renewable energy, and I am Rachel Johnson from Cherryland Electric Cooperative, joined by two excellent guests. First we have Tony Anderson, our general manager here at Cherryland. Welcome. And also joining us to talk about power supply, which makes a lot of sense, is Eric Baker, the CEO of Wolverine Power Cooperative. Wolverine, hi, hi. Wolverine supplies wholesale power to Cherryland and four other distribution members around Michigan. And so they have a high stake in renewable energy and what we will do to incorporate that into our portfolio going forward. So to kick us off, Eric, why don't you just walk us through the development of Wolverine's renewable portfolio and kind of where are we at do now and what are, what are we doing with renewables? Well, I'm really, really proud of this part of Wolverine's story. Um, Currently, there's a state law in Michigan that says we need to have uh, 10% of our supply coming from renewables. I think what's interesting in Wolverine's case is that Wolverine and its members, which include Cherryland, were the first utilities in Michigan to undertake renewable development at a commercial scale. And we did that prior to a state law saying we needed to do that. And so Back in 2006, before the current law, two years prior to the current law going into effect, uh, Wolverine commenced the Harvest Wind Farm project in partnership with John Deere Wind Energy at the time. And we constructed Michigan's first commercial scale uh, wind project in Michigan. Uh, Since that time, Wolverine has uh, been looking for additional uh, wind supply, and we now have one very large contract under Um, signed and we hope that that project will commence construction later this summer and that will put Wolverine at almost 20% renewables in its portfolio. And how do you get there? You started in 2006, now we're in 2015 and you're just doing your second project. Why no projects in between 2006 and 2015? Well, I, I I guess it, it might be crass to say, but it's sort of we, we, we cherry-picked. We thought that if we got in first, we could take advantage of what the economists would call a first-mover advantage. We wanted to have the first project done when we could establish uh, the sort of the terms of that transaction and do it in a way that wasn't uh, a crisis. And so that, gave, that got us ahead of the game. And by doing that, we got a project that was fairly competitive and it allowed us to effectively sit on the sidelines for the next five years. We, since we were ahead, we were able to bank those credits in the Michigan rule. And now we're at a point where others are now on the sideline and Wolverine is one of the only buyers of, of wind energy. And now this, that's also allowed technology to advance during that period of time. And now the, the, the current state of the market is, is less than half of, of what it was nearly six or seven years ago. And so this next project we do will also be very cost-effective for Cherryland and its members. So we're going to be almost 20% renewable and not have a rate increase for that either? That's correct. I'm asking a question I know the answer to just because I like to hear that answer. Because <laughs> We've preached on affordability for years. And as a manager of a distribution co-op, it's, it's heartwarming to see that come to fruition and do the right thing environmentally at the same time. We're very keen on, on the, the current wind uh, opportunities. We don't think it will stay around forever, um, but a combination of the remaining tax credits, uh, the technological advancements that have been made, the improvements in modeling of wind and where to site these, uh, the projects have just gotten more and more cost effective. And I think they've effectively reached their, their bottom point 
So we think now is a really good time for us to to enter this market again, and and we look forward to having a uh, competitively priced uh, wind project uh, that will be developed in the Thumb by the end of the summer. So you, you mentioned the, the Thumb, and obviously a lot of advancements and great things going on in, in wind technology right now, but one of the things we've been hearing a lot about is there's maybe a little pushback in some of the areas that have a lot of wind development. There's a moratorium in Huron County. How, how will that affect uh, Wolverine's project and your predictions about wind development in Michigan? Like all these technologies, um, at some point uh, you develop neighborhood issues, no matter no matter what the form, whether it's a, a coal plant in your neighborhood or a nuclear plant in your neighborhood or a solar project in your neighborhood or a wind project in your neighborhood. So environmental, or I should say neighborhood issues, are, are no stranger to the electric business. Uh, as these projects have evolved throughout the United States, uh, developers have learned lessons that they have done well and lessons that they need to improve on and I think the thumb is no different. Um, we think that the, you know, the moratorium issues have been largely resolved, but um, we're watching that day to day, and we don't think that our current project will, will have issues uh, regarding that moratorium in, in the thumb. Do you think the in-state requirement for renewables will go away? Uh, those, the law and a number of laws that were passed in 2008 on this issue are being reviewed, and I suspect uh, it's pure speculation. But I think uh, the the law that requires you to only have wind or renewable generation in the state, I think, will get relaxed. Um, there's some question as to the constitutionality of that in-state requirement, anyway. And frankly, if you can do something more cost-effectively in a different state and move the electrons, um, why not? Why not? Um, do it in another state. And so I, I think what you'll see is, a, I suspect, is some relaxing of that or some change in that portfolio or that, uh, that requirement. Is, is there wind available in other states? Can we get it here at an affordable cost? Well, those are two different state uh, questions, uh, <laughs> unfortunately. There's tremendous wind reserves in the Central Plains, in the, in the Upper Plains, in the Dakotas, uh, in Southern Minnesota, uh, Northern Iowa. Uh, there's some very rich wind areas of the country, Wyoming, Montana, um, but but certainly getting that transmission through bottlenecks around Chicago are problematic uh, for Michigan. Um, earlier in a different segment, we talked about the importance of a high voltage transmission tie uh, from the eastern or across the eastern UP and into northern Michigan, and that's one of the beneficial reasons or one of the benefits of of a, high, a better and stronger tie between the two peninsulas is to get renewable generation in the upper Midwest in, into Michigan in a more cost-effective way. Basically bypass Chicago where we, because of the congestion there, that raises the price for those people who may not understand. The more crowded your highway is, the higher cost it is. And That's correct. Obviously the UP is not too crowded, but we have a poor connection there. Correct. So we've done a lot with, with wind, but, you know, there's a lot more renewables out there. Does Wolverine have any plans to do anything with solar anytime in the future? Yes. Uh, definitive plans, no, but that will likely be our uh, our next project. Uh, we're 
focusing all our energy right now on two projects on the generation front. One is our Alpine power plant project, um, a natural gas peaking plant, and the second is this renewable project over in the thumb. Once those two are, are absolutely in process, we'll, we'll begin evaluating opportunities for a, a solar project in partnership with our members. And we've been working on some ideas quietly um, at Wolverine with a few staff, and we're, we're looking forward to sinking our teeth into that project. What is the potential for solar in Michigan? I mean, you, you know, talk about how certain areas are better for wind and, and that kind of thing. What what can solar do here for us? I think the jury's still out on that. Um, wind generation technology has matured uh, to the point where wind projects in Michigan can approach, say, thirty to forty five or thirty five to forty percent of the time they can make full power. Unfortunately, solar doesn't come anywhere close to that. Um, so developing economies of scale around solar is a little bit more challenging than it is around a wind project, and, and we still haven't had the, the technological advancements in, in solar that can compete with wind. So you'll hear a number of, you'll, you'll hear stories that, well, solar is, is half the price that it was a year ago or a quarter of the price that it was a few years ago. But it's still nowhere nearly as it's it's nowhere near the competitiveness of, of wind generation today. It's 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 um, it's over double the price of of wind. What about biomass? We have all kinds of wood in in Michigan. Oh. Does that have a play in our renewable future? Do you consider it renewable? <laughs> well. Those are definitely two different questions. There's yeah. a lot of questions <laughs> thrown in there. Uh, I love biomass. Uh, and our, my senior environmental strategist is a, is a former uh, f- forestry major from Michigan Tech University. And he also has a, has a passion for biomass as, as, a, as an interesting way to make electricity. Someone described to me once a, a, a brilliant comment. It's the hard part about biomass is not burning the wood. The hard part about biomass is burning the water. And the, you know, the, the, the wood basket comes with a lot of water in it. And so you have to truck a lot of weight that's just in the water and it doesn't create any heat. And so um, by the time you, you go through the complexities of biomass generation, again, it tends to be almost double the cost of a wind project. Um, I do believe that biomass is a renewable resource. I will say, though, that there is a growing sentiment that biomass is not a renewable resource. And I think that has sad ramifications to Michigan's um, wood industry because we have a a vibrant wood industry, we have a vibrant wood basket, and forests are improved uh, through the thoughtful um, utilization of those forests and the health of the forest is improved with systematic um, cutting the Health of wildlife uh, habitat is improved through systematic cutting. And, and so I think a vibrant biomass market is important for Michigan's future. I do not remain optimistic at this point, however, that, that we can make biomass um, competitive against other alternatives that have really uh, gone, gone far past uh, biomass's ability. 
One of the interesting things, Tony and I did a podcast a couple months ago about Germany and their energy policy, and they've been very aggressive in incorporating more renewables. And what you see with them is as they did that, and they were incorporating all of these really intermittent renewables like wind and solar, their the biomass piece of their portfolio actually grew and grew and grew because biomass has the advantage of being more reliable Correct. than a wind or a solar. You can burn wood 24-7, mm-hmm. you know, and... Obviously, wind doesn't blow all the time. Sun doesn't shine all the time. Running water, however, can run all the time. How how much hydro is in Wolverine's portfolio? And do we have any opportunity to grow that? Uh, Wolverine used to own uh, a very, very small hydro project, a very small hydro project on a Black River in northeast Michigan. We sold that project in the mid-2000s because it became such a small resource in our entire portfolio, and it became very, very expensive and challenging to keep it permitted properly. And so we sold that to a company that specialized just in small hydro. Uh, we now have a very small part, about um, I would say 10% to 15% of our renewable portfolio is in hydro, but we contract that through purchases from a specialty hydro company in Northeast Michigan. Do you see that number growing at all? Do you see Wolverine having any opportunities to incorporate more hydropower? Uh- Hydro power is a wonderful resource, and Michigan does, uh, has its electric system can trace its roots back to hydro generation. Wolverine or um, Consumers Energy constructed some of the first high voltage networks in the United States around the hydro assets in Michigan to bring electricity to the Tri Cities, Grand Rapids, Kalamazoo, to for Michigan's uh, growing auto manufacturing businesses. Um, but that's really where it stopped. Uh, we haven't developed any additional hydro resources in Michigan. And, and I think the environmental implications of trying to permit a, a new hydro project in Michigan make it a virtual impossibility, I suspect, that we'll see any additional hydro generation in Michigan um, developed or constructed. Would we have access to hydro if we had an improved connection uh, between the Upper Peninsula? Would we be able to transport some of the hydro from Sault Ste. Marie down to lower Michigan or Canada down to lower Michigan? I think the Canada question is, is the most intriguing part of that question because Canada, especially in Ontario, has tremendous hydro resources. And there's some interesting diversity that exists between their portfolio and the portfolio in the northern United States that could be complementary. Um, there are very few connections, unfortunately, uh, through Michigan. There is nothing around the, the Sioux, even though electrically they're not very far apart, um, probably 60 to 70 miles apart electrically. Um, so not a very interesting engineering question, but uh, that would require a lot of uh, State Department and uh, perhaps treaty issues that uh, are very, very complicated. What is true is without a robust transmission network, all of that is a moot point. And so I think if we do have a robust transmission network through the Upper Peninsula connecting Lower Peninsula, at least you can start to have that dialogue in a rational way, Tony, and, and maybe that's something long-term because up in uh, both Ontario and also Manitoba, there's tremendous hydro resources in Canada. So it's basically the, like the field of dreams model. If we build it, maybe, maybe hydro from Canada will come. It's a good analogy, yeah. And what is the synergy between Canada and the U.S. that you mentioned? What how do they complement us so well if we could access their hydro? If if you have um, 
certain resources are more available in the winter than they are in the summer, and certain utilities are winter peaking and other utilities are summer peaking. And so when you combine the two together, the the sum of the total is, is a lower requirement if those two systems can lean on each other. And utilities in the United States have done an exceptional job interconnecting with one another over the last 75 years to take advantage exactly of those opportunities. And while we have some connections to Canada in the Detroit area, and we also have some connections in the Minnesota area, uh, we do not have any connections to Canada through the through the northern Michigan, Sioux, Ontario, Sioux, Sioux Michigan, uh, uh, part of the map. So when you were talking earlier about biomass and you're saying some people don't see it as renewable, and I think that's partially because we've come to view renewable as synonymous with non-emitting, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so this, there's this other non-emitting form of generation that we don't seem to be doing a lot with at all, which is nuclear energy. Right. Um, so what kind of, what do you see as the role that nuclear could play or, or will play? Well, nuclear is the best form of, of baseload generation, the type of generation that can run 24 hours a day, month after month after month. It's the best form of baseload generation that does not emit carbon dioxide, bar none. Uh, the problem with nuclear is what do you do with the spent fuel? And that issue is something that the United States has, has just, I think, really bungled from a public policy standpoint for decades, and we are no closer to a solution today, it seems, than we were 20, 30 years ago. And, and I think that's tragic because nuclear generation, from a utility perspective, makes imminent sense. That's um, all kinds of environmental issues that, or I should say, public sentiment issues that have to be navigated. Consequently, you only have three nuclear units being built in the United States, uh, right now in South Carolina and Georgia. And there is nothing else on the horizon, and these projects are very, 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 very expensive. Uh, Detroit Edison has been discussing the potential of building a third nuclear plant in Michigan, and um, I think that's on the distant horizon, and I think that project would be a, probably a, you know approaching $15 billion, probably, and I don't see that happening anytime soon. So I think what that means is we've, we've relegated our industry to a single fuel, which is natural gas. How much nuclear is in Wolverine's portfolio today? Wolverine has no direct ownership of nuclear, but the way we score our portfolio for, um, for public filings is we allocate a certain percentage of our purchases on the open market to whatever the nuclear footprint is in that region. So in our our particular portfolio, we assign about 15 to 20 percent of our portfolio as nuclear, uh, but that's a, effectively a, a paper allocation. We do not own any nuclear assets nor any contracts against a nuclear unit anymore. But it does mean we have a significant amount of nuclear energy in our area, in, in the market we purchase from. Right, because in, in, South, in lower Michigan, you have you have three large, uh, actually four large nuclear units at three locations. And then in Illinois, Indiana, uh, there, is a, there are a number of, of nuclear units in, in the region. So uh, those are, are, again, one of the quiet success stories in our business because the nuclear industry and the nuclear generation um, technology has matured where these plants run 
effectively continuously for sometimes 400 some days consecutively in between refuelings and they achieve 92, 93% um, maximum output over that period of time, which is really, really remarkable. Yeah, I think we have some great nuclear operators, great nuclear engineers. We just have very poor nuclear marketers and have <laughs> not had any for 30 years. Well, that's Rachel's bailiwick. I'll leave that yeah. to her. <laughs> we need more millennials to market nuclear energy. Well, the, the thing that's interesting is you're talking about nuclear and it being this really effective form of baseload and renewables and how they can be complexities with intermittency. What about storage? I mean, are there is there any play there for storage technologies as they develop that could help shift that balance with intermittent renewables? Michigan has one of the most important storage assets in the United States, and that's the Ludington Pump Storage Plant. It's a it's 2,000 megawatt facility that uh, stores electricity at night and then lets that water go and, and can generate electricity during the day. And again, it's one of the untold um, marvels of our business and uh, and it's really important to Michigan's electric future. It's co-owned by Detroit Edison and Consumers Energy, and it's been a wonderful asset since the uh, since the early 70s uh, in Michigan. And so it, it has an important role, and I think that's our largest storage asset uh, really anywhere in the upper Midwest. Uh, there are a lot of exciting and interesting and um, provocative technologies with battery storage and flywheel storage and, and, and that. Um, but they're, they tend to be very, very small and fairly expensive, and I think the jury is still out. You'll get lots of press because it's, it's fun to talk about. It looks glitzy. Uh, there are great stories on, on web pages, and they look really neat. Uh, but I think the jury is still really out on energy storage and whether it will be effective because along with energy storage, what you're seeing is more traditional forms of electricity like gas turbines starting to push the envelope in their in their flexibility and and the ability with which they can rapid start and come up to full load and and so I'm I'm not a I'm not a huge uh, fan of of storage technologies in their current state. I think they have a lot to prove yet. In the early years of our business, we had diesel generators in small areas basically distributed generation. There's more and more talk about going back to that model today, you know, like we're afraid the grid's going to collapse and this is going to happen. So I got to have generation in my neighborhood to keep my small little grid in Grand Traverse County, for example, energized. What's your opinion on distributed distributed generation? I'm saying it wrong, but... Well, the, the I think this is a... Uh a comical irony in our business. Um, what's old is new again is an old expression and and um, the most reliable grid that we have, the most distributed, most effective distributed generation is exactly what the electric industry has done for decades. Multiple sources with multiple flow paths, with multiple circuits and multiple loops will create the most reliable and robust electric system. I think there's this there's this um, idealistic um, notion that we can have each uh, a Mr. Fusion kit in our house and we can throw the banana peel in and we'll all have our own little generator and life will be good. And I think we're years and years, if ever, away from, from that being our reality. I, I just, 
the the utilities have done a really poor job explaining the the technological advances that that they have made and and we really have a wonderful model it's just not very glitzy and um I think we can we can do better in telling our our story of how we are truly a distributed generation model. But having independent my, small generating projects at at the house, I've spent my entire career on utility planning and financial modeling of utility decisions. And from an economic standpoint, the misinformation that exists in the in the blogosphere about these these technologies makes me laugh a lot. I find this news very disappointing because I've been saving my banana peels for quite a while, Eric. Well, I'm don't not slip. not sure exactly. <laughs> so where, where's Wolverine going? What, what do you see out of Wolverine's portfolio in the next 10 years? I think you'll see continued flexibility. Uh, the big question is what we will do with our Alpine gas plant and, and how that will complement in the, in the emerging market and we don't know and that's precisely why we've taken this first step to see what evolves in the Michigan market over the next five years. Will we continue to see renewable development? Will those costs continue to come down or will they actually start to increase? What will be the most flexible, competitive, environmentally thoughtful next step? And, and so I think that's the big mystery. So what we've tried to do is put ourselves in an athletic position so we can go any direction <laughs> and uh, do it in a way that is cost-effective and also environmentally responsible. And then we'll just watch on the sidelines for a while, similar to what we did in the renewable um, part of our business, and, and watch things evolve. So at the beginning of the podcast, you talked about uh, bringing in a new wind contract and how that was going to put Wolverine at about 20% yes. renewable. Is that one of the highest utility renewable portfolios in Michigan? I think uh, there's one cooperative in the eastern UP that's owner of a legacy hydro asset that might be even higher. I think Cloverland Electric might be close to 30% from a legacy asset. But in terms of new renewables, uh, Wolverine has developed all of these renewables as new assets. Uh, almost all of them are, are new assets. And so I think in terms of the increment of, of renewable generation, Wolverine's portfolio will be um, probably at the very top, I suspect. So the, the takeaway of today's podcast is that Wolverine and its distribution cooperatives have been leaders in renewable energy and in Michigan. Very much. First commercial wind farm over here, first community solar project over here, over there, over here. Yep, yep. Uh, yeah. We, we've exciting. been. Well, again, people get tired of me saying it, while maintaining affordability. Leading in environmentally, leading environmentally and maintaining affordability. We're showing it can be done. Very much so. Very proud of that. So before we wrap up today, let's do uh, co-op fun facts. Eric, why don't you kick us off this time? I have to kick off the fun facts. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm going to punt to Tony. I need to think about oh, this okay. one for we just can, a we second. We can do that. Mine's real easy. 70 cents of every dollar we take in in revenue goes to Wolverine for power supply. Mm -hmm. That means uh, we finance all the poles and wires and trucks and employees, the 52 employees at Cherryland, with 30 cents on every dollar of revenue. Uh, I think we do a, a Wolverine does a great job of providing us affordable power, and Cherryland does a great job of making the best of that and keeping our rates affordable as well. 
It's, you're absolutely right. It's a great day to be a member of a co-op. Mine is along the theme of today. So including hydropower, U.S. electric cooperatives purchase over 10% of all U.S. renewable capacity. So we're, we're leaders here in Michigan, but we're leaders across the country when it comes to advancing renewables. Here's my fun fact. Wolverine has positions open that we are actually having a difficult time filling. So we are actively seeking professionals. Uh, we do not have all our positions open and the utility space is state of the art, it's cutting edge, it's really exciting, and it's really, really good work. And if you get to do that for a cooperative, you get to do that on a nonprofit basis. And so there's my shameless recruiting plug. What are some of those jobs then before we close? We have engineering jobs. We have uh, full-time market manager jobs that are monitoring the grid on a 24-hour basis. We have certain financial positions, and we have a number of skilled trade positions open that pay, pay very well. And as the least tenured co-op employee here, I will say that working for a co-op is without question the best job I've ever had. It's an exciting industry, and it, it's very, very fulfilling to work for an organization that's driven by doing what's best for their members. So I will include a link to Wolverine's website underneath this podcast, so any of you interested in a job can go check out their employment opportunities. Mm-hmm.